Welcome to the Working Well Podcast. I'm Tim Boris, CEO of Fresh Wellness Group. This show explores the diverse aspects of workplace health and personal performance. On the Working Well Podcast, we dive into the foundations of what makes wellness work in workplaces around the world. We connect with corporate leaders, executives, and industry experts who are helping make life more awesome at work and home. Join us to learn workplace wellness best practices, personal performance tips, and access resources to jumpstart your personal and corporate programs. Today on the Working Well podcast, it's my honor to host Timberlane Kakmak. Timberlane is an accredited financial planner with the Royal Bank of Canada who specializes in investment and retirement planning for wealthy families and business owners. He holds his Master of Management degree from the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, his Chartered Investment Manager designation from the Canadian Securities Institute, and his QAFP Financial Planning designation from FP Canada. He is a proud father, avid runner, and lover of nature, yoga, and delicious food. Welcome, Timberlane. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. And before we dive into discussing all aspects of financial wellness, and particularly its impacts on people and companies, I'd love to hear how has your world changed in the last 18 months? What's been new? What's been awesome? And uh, what, what things are you seeing going on? Thank you so much, Tim, for having me here today. And I'm very excited for the opportunity to give back and explore these topics. The last 18 months, what a loaded question. <laughs> We've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly, for sure. We've seen people saving more than they've ever saved. We've seen people without jobs, companies going under. Uh, and in my personal life, I guess I've seen a little bit of little bit of my share of everything. <laughs> Not immune to these challenges. So, but definitely working to persevere and grow through them for sure. Absolutely. I think everyone's undergone more transformation than normal, we'll say, whether it's positive, negative, or somewhere in between. And I think for a lot of people, it's a, a mix of both. Now, our, our conversation today is really timely because November is Financial Literacy Month in, in Canada. And let's kick that off with, how would you define financial literacy? Absolutely. Yes. It's, and our week is the best week of this month because this week is National Financial Planning Week, conveniently, which falls into the National uh, Literacy for Financial Literacy Month. So yeah, literacy includes all of our ideas, thoughts, and relationship with money. So how we communicate money, our values, how we understand, how we navigate. You can imagine someone who's reading a, a book. They have their English literacy, how they're able to read, write, speak, right? Or with their food and exercise literacy, how they're able to cook and uh, put things together so their nutrition's in their movement and their uh, so on. So financial literacy is those principles apply to financial well-being. Excellent. And so what, what does someone need to learn to consider themselves financially literate? Well, I even think it, it might even start earlier than that because financial literacy, it's, we start with finances and it's a very human topic. We have many human needs that come into play here. Our, our needs for love and connection, our needs for safety, security, shelter. I think it's important to make sure we remind ourselves that we're not just ones and zeros. 
and that it's not just about how is the best way to accumulate as much as I can so I can spend as much as I can or whatever, right? So I think even before we go to literacy, I think it's important to start with uh, what is really well-being and what is really, um, what, what ma matters most to us about money. And then from there, we can actually personalize the type of literacy that's important to us, right? Is it more about how do I give back? Is it more about my business? Is it more about my personal financial well-being? For some, they find money is a lot, very spiritual topic about how they give and, and serve in their world. And for others, it's a tool for their, uh, just a tool, right? So those types of beliefs and values we have about money are, I think, the foundation of the literacy. And I think that probably goes to, uh, we were talking a bit before we started recording about the financial IQ versus EQ. Can yeah. you explain a little bit about that and how that comes into play? Yeah, well, imagine you have IQ, intelligence quotient. Let's say you're trying to pick a stock or decide on what investment is the right one or how much money do I need to save? That's a good question. A lot of people wonder, how much money do I need to save? Right? Can I cover my bills? It's another one people are wondering. Uh, how much can I spend during my retirement? Those are nice IQ questions. There's a calculation there. And you can say, well, if I spend this much and, I, and my money grows this fast, then I can spend this much. I need to save this much. On the EQ side, EQ involves a lot more about the why. What sort of lifestyle am I working toward? What are my feelings and beliefs around money? I still see clients, even if they're uh, very wealthy or not so wealthy, they can have a, a relationship where they still have a lot of emotional charge around money, whether it comes from their childhood We'll see people who are having trouble self-sabotaging themselves with uh, money is evil type of thoughts. We have other people that think money is the only source of happiness and they're really caught up in accumulating it, right? So the EQ piece is, is very much around that. It's more than just the calculations. It's the emotions that make us human. That's, that's a really good point too. And because a, a lot of people probably have the mindset of, I just need to accumulate more. Mm -hmm. um, but that doesn't necessarily lead to greater health, happiness, well-being. And from the, from the personal standpoint, what, what types of things are you seeing around how lack of financial wellness impacts people? Absolutely. Well, thankfully, Financial Planning Canada did an excellent study last year. They interviewed just over 1,500 people uh, across Canada different jobs, different net worths, different areas. And they found that for two fifths of these Canadians, finances was the top source of stress. Finances was the top source of stress for two fifths of Canadians. And they also found that the biggest impact of that stress for just about one in three Canadians was on their health. Things like their sleep, their depression, their anxiety, and then it cascades into things like their work and relationships, right? So we know money is very important. And I ask myself, I ask my clients, what's, a, what's something that is not, uh, what's something that's important to you that isn't influenced by money? I think about our kids, our, our marriage, our careers, our eventually when we pass away, divorce. All these events have, are very significant life events that involve a lot about money. 
perhaps the other side of the question is what is a, what is a significant life event that doesn't involve money? And that would be an interesting topic in of its own, I think, too. <laughs> Do you, have you had anyone come up with uh, those? I think, I think what happens there is you start to, if you think deeper, you think more about the, the I'm going to use the word spiritual, which can be the, a loaded word. But what I mean by spiritual in this case is, is more about giving. And when we compare uh, money to wealth, right, which can also be another interesting topic, money, you might be accumulating money. But like I mentioned, I think in our pre-chat, I'll see clients who have double the net worth now, double the income now. They might not be double as happy. They might actually have more than double the stress and might be making more than double the sacrifices, right? Wealth, I think some of the things that differentiate wealth and maybe true wealth being about health, both uh, in terms of financial health, but psychological, mental, emotional health, that's when we feel grateful, when we have a sense of enough, right? And one piece of advice I'd give to people who are at all different points in their journey, whether they're just starting out saving or, or they're into their retirement years and at the other half of their life, Practicing gratitude more often and practicing giving more often. Even if it's like donating your soup, uh, your soup cans in your pantry or your bottles that you collect or $10 a month to a cause you care about. It's funny how when you practice having enough, enough to give, whatever point you're at, it's good for the soul. It's good for your well-being on a deeper level. Absolutely. And from a, from a company standpoint too, you know, a lot of the people listening to this are leaders in various organizations, uh, particularly in the HR side. And we talk about the salaries that people make up until a certain point, salary matters. But then mm -hmm. after that, it's actually quite a lot further down the list than most people would think in terms of the engagement, the well-being, the happiness and loyalty of, of an organization. Mm -hmm. And, and that's something that, we know a lot more about now, but I, I think a lot, quite a few people still forget that, that they're just so caught up in trying to hit that next salary band or uh, get that raise. And they're not thinking about what am I willing to give up for that? What, what is that going to, is that going to cost me in other areas that I might care about more? And uh, I've had some great conversations with co friends and colleagues that have actually turn down roles because they're like, you know what? I'm at a point in my life where I don't need that. I don't want to take that on. And it's not, it's not something that would benefit my well-being. Mm -hmm. And what do you, when you, uh, when you're working with clients, uh, what types of conversations do you have around that at various people's phases of their career? Yeah. Well, I think you touched on a really big point too, that as we mature, uh, as we learn our own values, I think one of the foundations of financial literacy is actually self-awareness. Self-awareness, and that's really important when we come to make decisions as leaders, whether we're leading the organizations or leaders in the organizations in important corporate roles. So I do have conversations with people on both sides, both the business owners and the high-level employees. The, the research shows usually around 70,000 to 110,000, depending on the sector and the, 
level of employment that the employees at, that's usually where the the extra sense of life satisfaction and uh, motivation from money as a pure incentive that starts to taper off around that area, right? So they, they need more and different people are motivated by different things. So I think that's another part of taking that responsibility. When I see clients, I try and give them, I can't give them, but I try to encourage them to take their power back. A lot of them are saying that my happiness comes from getting more money or moving up the ladder. They get caught in that treadmill, which what do, I, what do you really want, right? So I try to, I, before talking about finances with clients, whether they're the executive or, or the 25 year old, who usually is not the executive, but I've seen some impressive 25 year olds. They, uh, I try to encourage them to zoom out about money and talk more about life, lifestyle, life, life, uh, life goals, visions, what, what really gives them joy. Because money oftentimes, in pretty much all my conversations, they're trying to use the money to achieve something, right? They're trying to achieve something in their life, their relationships, and it's, it's not just about the ones and zeros, right? Absolutely. What, uh, what will that money provide? How will, how will it fulfill the, the needs and wants and goals that you have in life? Excellent. And then what are, we talked a little bit about, or briefly mentioned it, the stages of people's lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we could just maybe go through whether it's generational or age ranges, uh, yeah. what are some of the biggest gaps that you see that are that are missing at various ages? Things that people could be doing earlier or have to think about at a certain stage. Mm-hmm. Well, the, there's unique questions at each at each level, right? And, and in financial planning, one of the ways we divide divide the groups up. We have an accumulation stage, which is the first one. And, and these, these are going to spill over into each other, but younger life, we're usually focused more on accumulating, right? And then the next stage, once we've actually accumulated a certain amount, whichever that amount is, is again, different for different people. But then we have a preservation stage where we're trying to, we're mostly concerned about protecting what we've saved so we can live off it. That's now we're in the middle to later years of life. And then there's a final stage is more about distribution. You're, you're, you can't take it to the grave with you, I guess. <laughs> so people are now thinking about what do they want to leave behind? What is the legacy that's important to them? For some, it's just a simple, you know, they might leave their tax-free saving account to their uh, kids and their RSPs to their spouse and their home can get sold and split or whatever, right? And for some people, there's, there's more wealth and they might be making more uh, complex plans, right? But I think the beginning, if I can speak to your question about, you know, what are some things people could do better, is spend time with those questions around money. Think of it as a relationship. You know, you have a relationship with your body. You need to take time for that. You have a relationship with people, your career, and so on. So explore it and nurture it and grow it. So, you know, in the accumulation stage, you're asking yourself questions like, some people don't know if they have a sense of like, can I pay my bills? Can I pay my bills? That's like 101. Do I have an emergency fund? What's a good level of an emergency fund, right? Then from there, 
you might start to think about like, am I saving for my future? Am I taking advantage of the employee benefits that my employer offers? If my employer doesn't offer anything, maybe I can start a conversation, right? A lot of employers are very interested in learning how to attract and retrain, and retrain their key people, right? So on that, that's a bit on the accumulation side. Should I continue on? Yeah, uh, yeah those are great points. I'm just going to um, interject a little bit on the on the corporate side. So yeah, I'd say these days, most companies have a benefits plan, but what that benefits plan includes can vary substantially. Uh, I, you know, most of the major benefits providers will have some aspect of financial wellness in there, whether it's education opportunities or, you know, some companies are going to do things like RSP matching, but what are some of the the key pieces of the puzzle that an employer can put in place for for employees mm-hmm. to help with that financial literacy and well-being. Yeah, I think having a culture of open dialogue around well-being is important. So I think the organizational culture is very crucial. I think access to, if they're able to have access to some sort of financial coaches, financial planners, uh, even counselors, they need to be able to have dialogue. And, and cultures that are even healthier are cultures that su- support people in their career development too, right? So they're able to have those uh, conversations like, what are my next steps? Employees don't want to feel stuck, that's for sure. And moreover, you know, I find people telling me feedback, you know, employees tend to respond well when they have a, a budget for their learning. Right, a budget for their learning. It's also nice when they have access to advice around the financial options. You know, working within RBC, RBC is a very large organization, some 90,000 employees. Most of those employees are not financial planners. A lot of people are in technology and marketing and administration and operations and legal. These people aren't sure what, what is the best portfolio to choose. How much should they be cha- saving? Uh, if they have the option to choose a mutual fund versus a stock shares, uh, what are the consequences? What should I choose, right? Yeah. So if, the, if these programs are supporting the employees and having those dialogue with advisors uh, and other mentors, I think that's really important. And broadening it, um, the trend in the industry, Tim, over time, more and more of the pension and employee savings are really the employee's job to initiate and more and more of the risk is moving to the employee as well so yeah. they're not saying work this long and we'll give you this much they're saying you know if you save we'll match a little bit so you got to save quite a bit still on average and you can choose an investment you have lots to choose from now and whatever the value of that investment is in however many years that's what you get so giving the risk back toward the employee more and more so i find Tim, you want to say something? <laughs> no, I was just actually, uh, you hit a really, I guess, challenging area for a lot of companies is they have pieces of the puzzle in place. I was just on a meeting earlier today with uh, uh, HR consulting group that w- and we were talking about some of these challenges exactly is, yeah, companies say, oh, we have this, 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 and this, but it's up to the employees to access it. And 
when companies get caught up in the day-to-day operations of the business, they forget to remind employees that those things are there, that they have access to them. They have access to a financial planner. They have access to a psychologist. They have access to RSP sharing, but the large majority of employees either forget about it or aren't accessing it. And so one of the best things companies can do is to make sure that there are ongoing regular programs or reminders or or services that come into play that help employees engage with those, those areas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. uh, I've heard good things about the financial planning workshops. So I think that's one thing that some organizations can implement. I also hear it's, it's, it's very important for the employees to take initiative too. It has to come on both sides. Definitely. For sure. And I'd also add in as well that, you know, I was, I saw a client a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> uh, he didn't know he had a plan. He was actually enrolled in the plan. <laughs> he, he said um, on the sadder side of the story was that his, his father had passed away, but his father passed away about three years back. And he had found out that his father had a pension. Uh, however, uh, they didn't know about it until it's three years later. Pension company didn't take much initiative in reaching out, I guess. And, uh, but when the son went to reach out to the pension company, he found out that he had a pension there too. And he didn't know about this. So sometimes the employer is, is, is doing part of their part, right? And it is, it, it really takes a lot, of, a lot of consistency. It can't just be a once a year thing and it can't just be a, uh, briefly mentioned in your onboarding and or else it creates a culture of like why do we care and and what is that and and you get caught up in the rush of all the other things that are going on yeah day one you get your onboarding package and it's this massive portfolio of pamphlets and login details and forms you have to fill out and after that first week you don't think about it much anymore mm-hmm. yeah so there, there's a huge area of uh room for improvement there. But yeah, like I love the fact that you said employees need to also take initiative. And when employees and companies work together, we're, that's where we're able to see the, the traction starting to happen. Mm-hmm. I, w- I was going to ask you about the financial workshops. That's a really common thing that companies will offer a lunch and learn on financial planning or retirement savings and things like that. What are, what are some of the outcomes, I guess, that we're trying to get employees to do and what actions can they take to make sure that when they walk out of that workshop, they're putting pieces of the puzzle in place? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it starts with the workshop design. If it's too top down, then it's and I mean, if leadership says, I think this is what's going to be good and they put it on a training and it's not really what the employees are after, then it's not going to resonate as deeply as it might if they're engaged in the process. The employees need to be engaged, right? I think that's really important because different employees are motivated by different things, right? I'm hearing more and more too in my work that Uh, more and more people want the opportunity to actually pick some of their own individual things. They don't just want to be able to check a box and let the guys do their own stuff. 
I'll see a lot of clients trying to move their money out of the pension into a direct investing type of self-directed brokerage account. They want to buy this and that and this and that. And that has its own pros and cons too, because then you have that client taking even more risk and responsibility. Definitely not for everyone. But maybe part of that workshop is a little bit explaining the pros and cons of that. That might engage a certain group of the employees. Uh, I think teaching people about the value of financial advice over time. When we talk about pitfalls, regardless of age, uh, this one goes throughout all the ages, I think. It's when we get afraid. And so when we get afraid, we tend to pull back, avoid. Or when we get greedy and we get too into the, the hype of certain areas, that can burn us. Right? So I think, I think we really need to have education on financial advice, education on things like uh, how time can really work in your favor. Some people feel, a lot of people feel hopeless. Like that financial well-being study did talk about hopelessness is one of the big emotions people are having. And I find when you actually show someone, here's a plan. If you save $100 a week for the next X number of years, your, your retirement goal works, right? And you don't need to have a tremendous amount of uh, interest rate. Some people think that they need some sort of enormous returns every year. Good returns are important, reasonable fees are important, and reasonable uh, advice and service, like all those things matter. But a really huge, big piece of it is like putting in enough money and giving it enough time to grow. Because no, none of us are perfect, but can you get those first two steps? You're really more than half of the way. Yeah, I, I agree. And a lot of times people will get caught up in the, again, that day-to-day -day and the stress levels are high and you know, bills are coming in and the stress is one of the, or the physical impact of stress and the psychological impact of stress is one of the biggest challenges with poor financial wellness, but people get caught up in that day to day and they don't see the, the longer term picture. And especially if there are not those automated savings plans in place. And I know for me personally, that was something I didn't do at the start of my career that I look back and I shake my head and I'm like, wow, like, I don't, can't even think of how much money I didn't, I wasn't able to generate because I didn't do that earlier in my career. And, uh, I saw a stat the other day. It was, I think it was an American stat, but it's probably not that much different in Canada, but 61% of, uh, employees surveyed in this national survey were living paycheck to paycheck. And, they, uh, in, in the sense that they didn't have more than, I think it was a month of, uh, emergency cushion mm -hmm. in, uh, in their financial plan. And, uh, to me that, that was me for a lot of years, <laughs> thankfully not anymore, but it, it, yeah, it, it is, uh, still something that is, I think a, a lot of leaders and companies might forget that. Mm -hmm. And that creates a huge amount of stress and, what was it? Uh, uh, 20, 26 or 30% of employees say they have taken a day off of work because of the, uh, to deal with the financial, the stress of their financial situation. Yeah. And that's just of those people who completed that, that survey. Yeah. Definitely. It's 
because some of those other people didn't take it or were probably taking a break too. <laughs> yeah, that's where pre- presenteeism comes in. Their employees Absolutely. are at work and they're just not productive and they're thinking about things outside of work. Well, yeah, and if you're you you brought up a great point of, about burnout and when our minds start to get hijacked, when we're caught up in it so much, we we get more and more present focused. We can get caught up in the worries of the future, but less and less effective at planning. Planning is an executive function. As our stress goes up, we get less effective at it. So the psychology of money and wealth is if you're overstressed, we get worse and worse with financial planning. And that's one of the key things that advisors can help with is help with creating clarity and calm because people can't carry every weight in their life. We have doctors, we have dentists, we have lawyers, we have professionals to support. Right. But we also can't be complacent. We want to show up to the relationship informed and asking the best questions possible for sure. Excellent. So what what would you say are the top steps that people should take to make sure that they're they have all the, the boxes checked and they're doing the right things in their financial wellness plan? Well, start by committing to engage in the process continuously. So look at it as a dynamic lifelong journey and a relationship with money. And then within that, start, get, start investing as soon as you can, right? And as you start investing earlier, invest regular as well, whether that's monthly or weekly. If you can automate it, it starts to teach yourself that it's, it's, there's not a pain to it. You start not even noticing the money's not in your account, it's growing somewhere else. And once you start to build up the habit you can learn more as you think about your values and what sort of life you want. Personally, and with the support of a professional too, you think about what is enough, right? You really want to address how much do I need to be saving? It's not, it doesn't necessarily mean save as much as I can all the time because we need to balance between present and future, right? We need, and we need to really acknowledge our needs now are going to fluctuate sometimes when you're having your first home and first family and not too far along in your career, money is tighter. And, that, and, that's, and that's okay. You, you do what you can and you prioritize as per your priorities. Uh, as this goes on too, it's really important to make sure you're properly diversified. If you're not diversified, the, your risk goes up. And the 101 of diversification is not just picking one sector or one company, but a variety of different types of companies and different types of assets uh, from real estate, gold, uh, financial companies, technology companies, and around the world too, not just one country. Because you'll find countries have cycles as well. And when Europe might be lagging behind, sometimes maybe Asia is doing better and vice versa. So we want to broaden our investment opportunities as well. And all of that fits into a broader principle of having a plan a well thought out plan. And because people are, we have different levels of strengths in terms of our planning capacity, and there's so many unknown unknowns out there, it's very helpful to work with a trusted, caring advisor or financial planner or coach that you resonate with, that you resonate with, that you're willing to partner on that journey together, uh, that can help you keep calm, clear-sighted, more peace of mind. And, and that was one of the key findings of that study was that the vast majority of cl- people, of Canadians, 
who are working with an accredited financial planner, they, they are much less stressed about money and feeling much more hopeful. Yeah. And going back again to the theme of this podcast is the, the overall well-being and performance. And when you're not stressed about money, you, you improve your executive function. You're able to focus on things that are going to continue improving your health, well-being and performance. And, uh, yeah, I love that. So before we wrap up for today, I know we could keep talking about lots of different topics and there, there are definitely, we didn't dive into the details of, you know, investing and things like that. That's for a whole other episode, but I, I really loved what you said about the, the EQ versus the IQ and really thinking about the why around, because until you, and we talk about this with our coaching clients as well as until you understand why you're doing something, it doesn't really matter what you do. Mm-hmm. So getting that in place first, I really love that. What's the one sort of tidbit that you want to leave people, uh, the knowledge nugget that, uh, that people can walk away with and, and, and really boost their financial wellness wherever they are at this scale. Well, you put me on the spot. And you have me looking for a quote. I think I wrote it down. I want to just check one thing here. (laughs) But honestly, it's a great question. I I think the main thing is to not stop the process. right? And and if you have a huge hesitance to moving toward uh, improving that financial relationship, or if you really think you got everything figured out and you don't need to do it, that might be an indication to spend some time there. Right? If you're really avoiding or you think you got it all figured out, maybe there's something more there for it. I think the quote here that I wanted to say was a Sir Francis Bacon quote that says, uh, money is a good servant, but a bad master. I have heard that one. It's a great quote. Yes. So we need to, I think keeping that at the foresight is really important as a guide. And I, I also wrote down another one. It's another Sir quote, Sir John Templeton. Sir John Templeton, also another excellent investor and philanthropist. He said, be a go-giver, not a go-getter. I think we need to remind ourselves around why we're here. And is it, is it just about getting or is it about giving? Because when I, whether, regardless of who I'm working with, the people who focus more of their life on how can they add value, how can they give more, Money is less and less of a worry and more and more abundant and there become more and more fulfilled regardless of the spreadsheet, which is again, more about the EQ portion of this, which is again, what makes us more human. And that's what we're here to be as human beings, not just human running around doing and getting. I think there's actually a book called The Go-Giver. I, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I listened. I, I think I listened to the audiobook a while ago. And if I recall, it talks about the the psychological impact of giving and how it is a key to happiness and whether it's you're giving your time, your energy, your money, um, resources to, to other people with, without any uh, expectation of getting something back, just mm-hmm. the ability to do that is massive for overall health, well-being, and happiness. I, I agree. And I'll check out the book because now I, now I'm intrigued. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Timberlane. It's been awesome to chat. And, uh, I know people will get great value from the, 
uh, the tips that you provided. I will provide, uh, you had some resources, uh, some links that people can go to, to access some more information on uh, being becoming financially literate and financial well-being. And so there are some great tools that I checked out. So I'll put those in the show notes so people can access them. So thank you again so much. And I look forward to the next time we can, uh, we can connect. Thank you so much. Happy National Financial Planning Week and Literacy Month. And thank you, Tim. Thank you. Chat soon. Thank you for listening to the Working Well Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear your experiences and how you've applied tips from the show to your daily life. So please keep us posted on your progress. To stay up to date with new episode releases, make sure to subscribe to our mailing list by emailing podcast at freshgroup.ca and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Thank you everyone for tuning in. And once again, I'm Tim Boris with Fresh Wellness Group. We'll see you on the next episode.